you can be a student of the game. I don't care if you're with Cobalt Banker, you can learn from Remax. I don't care if you're Remax, you can learn from Compass. I don't care if you're with Compass, you can learn from XYZ. Be a student of the game, grow your knowledge, and your confidence will grow. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser. Listen in as I interview leaders in our industry, getting their stories and their journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 253 of The Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, I'm very excited. We're going to talk about luxury marketing, the luxury real estate market with Michael Lafito. Michael's written a book on the topic. He's also created a designation, the Lux designation, that's available in a few states now, and he's rolling it out more around the country. He speaks nationally on the topic of marketing for luxury uh, properties, and he says you can do it. Anyone can do it. It doesn't matter um, what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter where, where you grew up, that this is a market that can be, that can be dominated uh, with the right strategies. So I'm really excited to chat with him today. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bill. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have a conversation with you because when I found out you live in the Chicagoland area, I'm really hoping that you grew up there. Does that, is that, was that where you were born yeah, and raised? Yeah, I, I I've, I've lived in Wheaton, Illinois since 1984. Uh, uh, that tells you I'm dating myself, but yeah, 36 years have lived in a, about 25 miles west of downtown Chicago. Okay. A good buddy of mine grew up in Elmhurst, so you're, oh, sure. you're close to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Actually. Technically, yeah. Uh, my, my real estate license is hung with the brokerage in Elmhurst, so it, uh, okay. that's a great, great suburb. Can I just assume that you know you were a total rapture with MJ and the Bulls in the 90s? Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I love that last dance series uh, that they just had. And uh, yeah, I mean, I went to went to some great playoff games. I was at the playoff game when the Bulls beat the Knicks when uh, Jordan is when he was retired and Scottie Pippen refused to go in. I was at that game and uh, was at some other playoff games. I went to the, the game when the Bulls won their 70th in Milwaukee. It was the first time any NBA team has won 70 games in the regular season. Now Golden State won uh, seventy three. They won seventy three and nine. Now they didn't win the championship. The Bulls won seventy two and ten. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that was coming. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't absolutely. win the championship. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I um, I, I made sure I took my son, who was only five years old at the time, to a Clippers game because we lived in San Diego at the time. Okay. I took him to a Clippers game to see MJ. I just oh. he had to see Michael play, even though he was only five. You know, it was yeah. Important. No, yeah. you're you're absolutely right, and I put Walter Payton up in that for a Chicago fan, you know, yeah. um, great running back for the Bears, uh, you know, and, and it was pretty cool because uh, when Khalil Mack got traded to the Bears a couple of years ago, um, I had the great fortune of of uh, previewing Michael Jordan's home for uh, a potential client uh, at the time happened to be um, Khalil, so that was pretty cool. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So I love it's just If you listen to the podcast, I love talking sports. It's just too much fun for me to, to find out where everybody's kind of heads at. So, but I have to ask, is it Cubs or White Sox for you? You know, I'm a Cubs guy, but I, I okay. love the White Sox I had a no hitter yesterday. I like to say when they won the world series in 05, I'm a Chicago yeah. fan, but when they play each other, I'm definitely a Cubs guy. Okay, cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, you you're into sports. Did you? I'm I'm just going to guess you played some football in high school. 
Yeah, I played high school baseball and football and, and, and a little basketball, but I was a scrapper in basketball. But yeah, football is, uh, I was a baseball guy up until high school. That was my favorite sport. And in high school, I went to you know some high school football games and I fell in love. And uh, football's been my sport ever since. Yeah. What was your position in high school? I, I played uh, strong safety, defensive back. Uh, and okay. then in college, I played college football at Northern Michigan University Division Two, and I played uh, cornerback there. So you're a, a wildcat. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah, wildcat. That's where Steve Mariucci uh, and uh, Tom Izzo went there. Jerry Jerry Glanville, a former Falcons head coach. That's right. Uh, yeah. That's cool. So ta- let's talk about, uh, first of all, I, you know, playing, you, you say Division II, I don't care. You're, you played college football. That has got to be a thrill. It had to be an, an incredible adventure. I mean, talk about that a little bit. I mean, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I do believe that sports, uh, there's more life lessons in sports and than maybe the classroom. Right. So my, I'm coaching my kids right now. And, and I think there's so many lessons in sports. So, you know, some of my biggest mentors were my high school football coaches. And, 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 and so I was very fortunate enough to be on a state championship team in high school. And then I played junior college football. You talk about non-glory football. You're playing in front of the same number of people that you probably played in front of ninth grade freshman football. I mean, literally family, that's it. You're playing for the love of the game. And I I was very fortunate enough to have enough highlight types, even though I never started a junior college game. Now, again, we, we were on one of the best junior college. We never lost a game in two years. Mm -hmm. We were basically a division one factory. We had amazing athletes there. And, uh, you know, you talk about what life lessons you have. So I literally recruited myself. So when I was, I sent out my highlight tape to schools, including Northern Michigan, where most of the time they're recruiting you. I was sending out just like I, I recommend the real estate agents today when they prospecting to cancel their expireds. You know, I had to differentiate myself and I, I did reverse prospecting. I did reverse recruiting back then. Uh, and Northern Michigan was called and I thought they were going to be like everybody else and say, Hey, thanks, but no thanks. But he said, Hey, we're interested in bringing you up and offering you. So that was pretty cool. Do you watch uh, football today? You must watch it differently than all the rest of us because you've played the game at a high level um, and a cornerback of all positions. I mean, t- on the Island. I mean, when you make a mistake at cornerback, Everybody sees it. If you make a mistake at offensive guard, not many – the film room sees it. How do yeah. you handle that? <laughs> yeah, that you, you definitely have football knowledge just based on that, Bill. You're absolutely right. The way I tell people is, you know, my mom who still says, well, were you in offense and defense, you know, some 20-something years later? You know, people that are watching the game, they don't know much about the game at all. They, don't, they might not even know offense or defense or position names. But everybody knows when a defensive back makes a mistake – particular cornerback because it's usually six points or a big score. So yeah. uh, every play you had to be on, you had to be knowing what the tendencies are and pass, run, read your keys. And uh, that's what made it so uh, you know competitive for me because I wasn't the most gifted athlete, but I, I had to study the game and no film and no tendencies. And, uh, and, and again, that translated into, to, to, I was a teacher right away out of college and I was a part-time real estate agent. And then, you know, now fast forward, I run a luxury consulting company and speak across the world. And um, it's those lessons um, that tr- transfer over to real life. We, we hear that 
time and time again, when you hear an athlete talk about um, post post their athletic career, uh, even even Hall of Famers come out and talk about how important those lessons you learn, right? When you're all working together, you got 50 guys all trying to achieve the same goal and everybody's got to have each other's back. And, you know, and, and that you're right. That absolutely directly applies to the world of real estate. It really does. It really does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, working with personalities types, right? You could write books in real estate, right? Horror stories, uh, client funny stories, wh- whatever, as real estate agents, you know, dealing with uh, people from different backgrounds. I mean, I play junior college ball and, you know, I come from Wheaton, Illinois. There's not a lot of minorities in Wheaton, Illinois. I had some African-American teammates on my football team, but I went to junior college and and Caucasians, whites, we were the minority and it was predominantly African-American teammates. And it was great. It was great to learn. Uh, and it, it prepared me as a teacher. It prepared me for dealing with clientele from different backgrounds, different languages. And uh, again, you can't learn that stuff in the classroom. So you, you were going to be a teacher from day one. Is that what you're going in? Education was your major? Yeah. So I looked at, you know, you know, when I was struggling, what I wanted to be as a sophomore in college, my, my football coach, who also was my guidance counselor said, you know, think about people that have been influential in your life and they were all teachers or coaches. So Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to be a teacher and coach from that point on. So I graduated with a double major in health education and physical education. And in my first job in 98, I, I was a high school health and physical education teacher and a freshman football coach. Wow. That's great. You you mentioned you're coaching your kids. Are they playing? Are they playing ball already? Yeah. So they're playing. Um, they haven't done tackle. My oldest was going to do tackle this year, but because of COVID nineteen. But they did flag football, and I was their coach last year. It was it was a blast. We we went undefeated, and I was the D coordinator, and uh, we had seven games, and we had six shutouts. Uh, so it, I, I'm a pretty intense coach, but. But I have high expectation of my kids and my teammates. But I, more than anything, I want effort. I don't care if we win or lose. Like I just coached them in baseball this year, and um, we were four and six going into the playoffs. We won the first game, and then we played the undefeated ten and zero Cubs team. And and we were up going into the fifth inning, and we, we end up losing eleven nine. But I, I was so proud of the kids because they didn't blink, right? And I, I, I when my kids are pitching, you know, and I say, you know. Uh, finish, finish, right? I want them to finish just like in life. You got to start something. You got to finish. Or when my kid is pitching against their number one hitter, I'd say big on big, like, this is what you play for. Like you want to go against the best. Like I, I'm, these are things that you learn about yeah. through sports that I can't tell you, Bill, I was at Inman, New York, I guess it would have been 2019. And, and I had somebody come up to me like, Oh Mike, there's someone I want to introduce you to. Well, it was a real estate agent in Atlanta. And, and, She's like, man, I wish I would have met you. I had an opportunity to list a $10 million plus home. It was pretty much a shoe win because somebody referred me. It was a PGA golfer's home. And because of fear and limiting beliefs and the what ifs, she didn't even take the listing. And so like, again, if she, and she may have been, I could be wrong, but if she was a high school athletic played even, you know, even fifth grade, seventh grade athletics, and she took something from life back then, like, man, I remember this time we played this team and I didn't blink and I went for it. And like, those are things that you can transfer from sports to, to real world. It's so funny. You say that I, I still remember to this day, I, my baseball career ended fairly early, but, um, in the majors. So we're 12 at the time. Right. But Donnie Coons was coming up and his older brother, Doug, had the record for home runs and I was pitching. It was the last game of the season. 
it was the last at bat because I had come in in relief. And if he hits one more home run, he breaks his brother's record. And it was something in me that said, is not going to be off of me. I'm doing awesome. everything I can. And yeah. he did not go yard on me. It felt so good. Uh, yeah. Take something out of that. I think that's, that's awesome. Um, you said part-time real estate. So how did that, how did real estate get in your life? Yeah, it's a funny story. So um, the summer before my senior year at college, uh, in, this, in the summer months, I worked I, I worked for a, a buddy of mine's dad, and I power washed and stained decks. Um, so literally, you'd be out in the field power washing, getting dirt and grime on you. And, and um, I'd, I'd be collecting the checks. That, you know, I'm making up the number. I can't remember. But let's say I was making 12 bucks an hour. And, uh, you know, I'm collecting $300 checks, $400 checks. And I did all the work. And I knew I was going to be a teacher. I'm like, this would be perfect. So I got it. That summer when I graduated, I started my own deck cleaning business. It was called Deck Reshine made about as much in one summer as I did my first year teaching. And mm. two summers later, I was power washing a guy's deck in Naperville, Illinois, and the last name was Darfler. And he says, hey, have you ever thought about getting in real estate, Mike? I said, no. Uh, he goes, well, I'm a, I run a real estate brokerage, and my best real estate agent is a is a teacher and a coach at North Central College in Naperville. The next, you know, that's where the, the, the gentleman lived. And Two months later, I got my real estate license. And the way I looked at it, Bill, was if I could sell one home a year, that would be the equivalency of me coaching a couple sports. And I was cool with that. And there was a, a gentleman, God bless his soul, he passed away. But Bob Glover, who was a teacher with me at Glenbard South in Glen Ellen, he was a agent, real estate agent at Cobalt Banker. That's where I hung my license originally. And Bob said, hey, Mike, sometime you're going to make more money selling real estate than you are teaching. And you might consider stepping away. And I'm like... I said, there's no way I, if I could sell 30 to 40 grand in real estate a year, that's the equivalency of my part-time business. I'd be happy. Well, sure enough, you know, a couple of years later, I was the second leading producer for the entire Midwest for realty executives making high six figures. And I stepped away from teaching in 2009, 2010. Yeah. You stepped away. We're going to get you back there in a little while, though, <laughs> because the teaching the, the teaching never leaves the teacher. I don't think ultimately, right? And it, it, it doesn't. So that's where my consulting and my coaching and my my lux designation comes in. Is I'm, I'm speaking across the country. I'm, my course is approved in Texas and Georgia, and we're looking at Florida and other yeah. states uh, because it's in my bloodline. I want to help people. Even when I'm coaching eight, nine year olds, if I can make somebody believe in themselves, feel better about themselves. Like there's, there's something for me that, that is invigorating about this. I read a quote today um, from Maya Angelou. I'm probably yeah. butchering her name, but she says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And Bill, there's something about that. Like I love inspiring adults, educating real estate agents, you know, helping them increase their average sale price. Uh, because I do believe, you know, if an agent is more successful, they're going to have less stress at home. If they have less stress at home, they'll have healthier relationships. They'll be a better parent. Yeah, it's a big circle, and that's just going to make them a better realtor, right? It's just mm -hmm. this great cycle that, mm -hmm. that you want to get into. I've had agents in my role with Fidelity say to me, you know, Bill, I did. what's the secret to getting in the luxury market? And and my answer was always like, uh, know somebody in the luxury market and go work with them or, or have a sphere that's already kind of luxury-based. But I think you're going to tell me something different. And this is – you've written books on this topic, right, about – 
How, how could I, and for, how did you do it? Let's start there. You know, what, what, what was that driving force that, and what was that tactic or that strategy that helped you? I guess a couple of things. So being a former athlete, right. You know, success is a journey, not a destination. Like the film doesn't lie. You mentioned that, right. So, yeah. so we play Friday night lights, high school football, and you know, we had high expectations, our coaching staff, we took second in state my junior year, my senior year, we ended up winning state undefeated, but, but you'd feel good about the win on Friday night and Saturday morning, you come in as a team, you watch film and, and the coach would, you know, light you up or maybe embarrass you indirectly by calling you out. Like, Hey Mike, why was your head down? Or I put you in a perfect position to succeed and, and you missed the tackle. And, and so as an athlete, my, the drive to be the best, to be better is always there. So whether I was, you know, as a high school teacher, going to conferences, going to football clinics from my real estate agent, I remember early on, I invested in coaching, uh, by referral only. And, and Joe Stump was who I invested in. I remember taking sick days and going up to Lincolnshire, Illinois and, and being around full-time real estate agents. And here I am a part-time agent, you know, dressed like a gym teacher, but learning from best practices. So, you know, then luxury, then fast forward to luxury, but doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out in a commission-based industry, if you sell higher price products, you make more money. And, uh, and so, you know, I knew that there was a void in luxury. I was coaching luxury agents and I realized that there was a void out there. You had the million dollar agents, no offense to them out in California and LA or out in the East coast, but, but the average agent couldn't relate to them uh, because they didn't live in Beverly Hills or they didn't live in the Hamptons. So for the blue collar communities or for the everyday person, and here I am Midwest and Chicago based and, and a lot of people could relate with my story more so than you know the top luxury agents in, in those areas I mentioned. So I, I kind of shifted, Bill, everything from just helping agents and, and inspiring agents to really more luxury specific. But the stuff I teach relates to all price points, but we, we do focus on luxury. Okay. That makes sense. You, um, you mentioned your designation, the Lux designation talk that that's gotta be, um, first of all, that where did that idea come from? Cause there had to be this moment where you went, you know what? I think I could do this. And then talk about the process. Cause I'm sure it's not just as easy as, yeah. like, Hey, here's a class and I'm done here. Give me my designation. Well, there's right brain people and left brain people, right? Your left brain and your analytical, your spreadsheet. I'm a right brain guy and most real estate agents are. So I'm creative uh, with our videos and outside the box, but, but putting together a course, writing books, you know, I've written books, uh, you know, th that's not easy to do for somebody that's high energy and a little ADD like me. So it certainly uh, didn't happen overnight. And it's just like anything else you've done over 250 of these. And you, if you listen to your first one, uh, it's compared to the one today, right? It's night and day. Same thing with us. And um, and so we we launched our, our our designation at the time. It was called Marketing Luxury Expert. When we launched it, we launched it in Dallas, Texas, to a Remax office, Remax DFW, and Mark Wolf. He has over uh, uh, I think three hundred agents and very successful Remax franchisee in, in, in the Dallas Fort Worth market. We had over a hundred agents at our training and. 
at the time they were launching a luxury division and uh, maybe you know the name, maybe you don't, but uh, but Judy Lador, she helps uh, brokers recruit agents and Remax is a big client of hers. She speaks at R4 and she told Mark, hey, you got to talk to this guy because Mark was launching an internal luxury division and he was thinking about, and, and it's a great designation. I never badmouth the competition, but he was thinking about having the Luxury Institute to teach their designation course. And Judy highly recommended me. So he interviewed me and we didn't have any, and we still don't, you don't have to have sold luxury homes to take our course to get our designation. And that was a big difference of, of our course and the institutes at the time. But Mark had us down and we helped him launch his luxury division and, and, We've done three reiterations and, and, and up, updates to our designation since we launched it four years ago. So, again, it's that athlete in me, always getting better. We went from 14 modules to 16. We just helped Keller Williams launch their luxury division in Mexico. They had us down at their family reunion in Mexico, and we taught our course. And we've had interest from others speaking d different languages, taking this more global. And so we're, we're looking to continue to grow this bill. And it's practical I, I believe people that take our course say it's practical. In other words, you're a newer agent. You can, we speak your terminology, but it's also advanced. You know, I'm a luxury agent in, in, in Beverly Hills or the Hamptons, or you, I believe that they'll learn something from it as well. What are some of the myths about the luxury market or, or even agents that succeed in that market? There's gotta be a few that you oh, just. There's, there's five common myths. Um, and I actually just covered this with, uh, Maybe you know Aaron Luden with Orlando Real Producers. Yeah, I do he know Aaron. He had a training with Michael Mayer uh, from Seven Levels of Communication just mm -hmm. last week doing this. And uh, so number one is uh, you have to be licensed X amount of years before you can sell luxury. That's false. You could be a newer agent and be luxury. But most people think you got to have some gray hairs to, before you can sell luxury. Number two, you have to uh, come from wealth. You have to live in a luxury home. That's false. Number three, you have to be with a certain brand. Hey, I can only be with Sotheby's or Compass or fill in the blank to sell luxury false. Uh, no, number four, you, you got to drive a certain car uh, to, 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 to sell luxury. I mean, that's false. And, and number five is you, you can't compete with X amount of already luxury late agents in your market. In other words, Bill, there's 13 luxury agents already in your market. There certainly isn't room for a 14th or there's five. There's not room for a six. Those are all false, false, false. I call those limiting beliefs. And so I tell real estate agents, grow your knowledge and your confidence will grow. So grow your knowledge by listening to Bill's podcast, by listening to our podcast, Luxury Listing Specials, by reading books, by, you can be a student of the game. I don't care if you're with Cobalt Banker, you can learn from Remax. I don't care if you're Remax, you can learn from Compass. I don't care if you're with Compass, you can learn from XYZ. Be a student of the game, grow your knowledge and your confidence will grow. If you're more confident, Bill, you'll do more prospecting, some more lead generation. You'll you'll go to broker tours. You'll you'll take that listing. I have a winery. I'm selling a winery outside of Galena, Illinois. It's two and a half hours from Chicago. I didn't even know we had wineries in Illinois. It was a <laughs> referral from an ERA agent down in Florida. And I, my philosophy is have car will travel. I believe that I'm a marketing agent. And if I do my due diligence and I understand local trends and the schools and the unique features of the home and the location, I can market that home better than a local non-marketing agent. Right. 
No, in my in my twenty years in the business, it seems to me that marketing is a a, a a word tossed around a lot in the real estate space that very few realtors are good at doing. Very few. Do you agree with that? I, I would agree. My tagline in my consulting business and my even my home selling business, it's not the market, it's the marketing. And yeah. uh, I believe an agent's job is to position the home more effectively so more buyers can visually see themselves buying and moving in and buying the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was selling a house in downtown Chicago. It had a Twister-themed bathroom. In other words, like the Twister board game. It had yeah. red, yellow, green circles. I was the second agent. You know, there's an old adage in real estate. You want to be the firstborn, the second wife, and the third real estate agent. Okay, you know, yeah. m- many times I'm the second or third real estate agent. The first agent didn't show any pictures of that bathroom for good reason, right? I mean, I know 999 out of 1,000 buyers wouldn't want to touch that room, uh, that bathroom, no pun intended. And I looked at it as an opportunity, Bill. So I had my for professional photography company take a photo of that bathroom i matter of fact brought out the board game and and placed it on the on the bathroom countertop and it was part of the photo in the mls because i believe our job is to get more eyeball traffic if you get more people looking at the home more people talking about it more people raising their hand you'll have more qualified showings the more qualified showings you have the higher probability the seller's going to net more money I add into that loop. I've talked about this before, but like writing good copy or being a graphic designer. I mean, these are all really important skills that I think some agents try to do. That stuff's got to be outsourced. You mentioned your professional photographer. You know, you you know your limitations. Yeah. You know, and you you probably outsource that that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a big believer. Like, you know, I know your audience can't see what I'm doing, but if I were to hold up my phone, like we are basically in a Tinder industry. People are either swiping left or swiping right on your listing and my listing. They don't care. I could literally bring in some of the best copywriters in the world and have the best description. they're, They're not reading it, Bill, if they don't like what they see in the photos. And so most agents, they either show too much or not enough. Okay, and so it's our job to highlight the best features of a home and downplay the least favorable. And most agents are terrible at that, and they're terrible at having that difficult conversation. If I was coming into your office, Bill, and and I was taking photos of your office, I might suggest less is more. So let's take some photos down. Let's do some of this, and let's do some of that. But most agents don't want to step on your toes or offend you, and they don't feel confident explaining and articulating that. And so guess what? They position the home poorly and you get less showings and less less offers and, and lower offers. How has uh, COVID-19 affected your world in the luxury side of things? How's that? Um, how's the high-end market handling this? The luxury market, not just in Chicagoland, like you, I have a podcast and I have fingers on multiple par- p- pockets across not just the U.S., but the, the world. The luxury market in most major markets is actually stronger than it's been in years. Uh, again, not the downtown areas, not the vertical living condo market in Chicago, but the single family homes in the suburbs just you know, within a half hour out of Chicago are thriving. I had an agent from Houston I talked to the other day. She's had more showings on her million dollar listings in the last month than she had in the previous 12 months combined. Do you see those people in those towers moving out to a place where I got more room in case I got to do this again? 
Yeah, I see people moving out. I also see an influx, just like the commercial. I think you, you mentioned earlier, Fidelity is doing a lot of more Zooms and people aren't going into work. I think the commercial, the office space and and residential condos are going to struggle for years, maybe moving forward. And so I feel like there's going to be an increase in short sales and foreclosures in the downtown market because people can't sell them. Yeah, that's going to be tough. <clears throat> That'll be tough to do. So, yeah, and and um, you know, Florida and and Texas, I think, are the two places that are probably going to benefit a lot as well, right? Luxury markets here are are extremely busy. Yeah, I think you're going to see tax friendly states. Of course, Florida, you got no <laughs> state income taxes. Same thing with with Texas. Um, I think you know even smaller markets like Colorado and Denver and and the national market and Arizona I think you're going to see and, and Carolinas I think you're going to see uh, better climates and more tax friendly areas are going to benefit because people are tired of just burning their money and giving it away in, in some of these cities that are, are run by higher tax philosophies Michael, I've had you here the half hour, and I know you've got a you've got some work to do. So I want to just give you the final question we've asked every guest. That's what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started? You hang out with nine top producers, you're bound to be the tenth. Who's in your inner circle? Who are you learning from? Zig Ziglar said, "You, you hang out with nine de- dead broke people, you're bound to be the tenth." Uh, but but, but who are you surrounding yourself with? What are you listening to? If you want to be a top producing agent, if you want to earn X amount of dollars, you got to observe them. Tony Robbins says success leaves clues. Go figure out what someone else successfully has done and model it. So that's what I'd recommend to your listeners. You know, there's tons of free content out there. We interview people just like you do. There's tons of free content out there. Success leaves clues. Michael, if somebody wants to reach out to you or, you know, find out about your designation or find your books, this is your chance. Where should we, and we'll put links in the show notes so they have access to all that stuff. Yeah. So our, our designation is just luxurylistingspecialist.com, luxurylistingspecialist. There's an FAQ section that can learn about it. What's covered There's 16 modules. You can learn all about that there. Uh, we have a free Facebook group, Luxury Listing Special. So I'm a big believer in free. We have our podcast that's free. You can go to luxurylistingpodcast.com or it's on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. And, um, you know, or they could always shoot me an email, Bill, Michael at marketingluxurygroup.com, Michael at marketingluxurygroup. You know, they, they, people can Google you. They can Google me. There's enough ways to yeah. find me. Yeah, that's great. Michael, this is great. I really thank you, first of all, for sharing some of those football stories. That's amazing. <laughs> and I, yeah. lo- I love how that's become just a part of who you are. Uh, and uh, I really look forward to kind of running into you again at a session somewhere when we're back seeing each other face to face. Absolutely, Bill. Appreciate what you're doing for the industry and uh, keep raising the bar and, and likewise. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash RE Sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to the realestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released. Uh-huh.